Go ahead and grab a seat. We're going to get ready uh, to continue our series called Come to the Table. So thankful for all of you guys in Auditorium 2. Just worshiped with these guys in Auditorium 2. By the way, guys, it's full over there. Auditorium is full. Let's welcome, let's give them a big hand for doing that, for being with us today. We're just uh, one church in two rooms right now. So, um, But I want to continue this series called Come to the Table. And uh, if you missed last week... I'm just going to encourage you, you really need to go back and listen to last week. And I know that I say that quite frequently, but I, I believe that it's foundational for where this series is going. And it's really something that our church in particular and the church at large needs to hear right now. And so um, I, I encourage you to do that. But uh, how many of you guys love perks at your job? Does anybody like love perks? Like if they give you some perks, all right, if you, you're like, I don't have any perks, right? You hear these places like Facebook. Have you heard of Facebook where they give you, they have like free dry cleaning for you. They have a barber shop on site. They have on site health clinics, like all these perks and, and all this extra vacation time. They have free food. Like that would be awesome. Have you guys like to show up to work every day and just get free food, whatever you want. That'd be great. Uh, they, they even have, in one place, they have an arcade there at Facebook that you can just stop and play games. How many of you guys think that'd be pretty cool? Okay. And you're looking at your job, you're like, I don't have any of that, right? And, well, there was this company in the 1920s uh, based out of Chicago, this, this uh, uh, utility company, I believe it was, and they wanted to try to gauge what it would take to increase production in their company. And so they wanted to do some experiments if they started to alter some of the working environments to see if it would increase production. And so they were measuring the production, and then uh, they, they decided to turn on the factory lights brighter to see if the, maybe a brighter workplace would encourage more productivity. And sure enough, it in, the in, uh, productivity increased. A few days later, something interesting happened, though. They turned the lights back down to their original level, and productivity increased. So they were curious at, at this, and they were trying to figure out what was going on, and so they decided to mess with all sort of other environments. So they tried uh, producing cleaner working environments, and sure enough, productivity increased, and they messed with break times, and they varied the times, and each time they would try to adjust the environment in any way, shape, or form, productivity increased. And, what they, and, and when, they, when the experiment was over and the, the people realized there was nothing more happening, then productivity went down. And they came to this conclusion, and people have written books on it, actually, that they came to this conclusion that it really wasn't about any of the perks at all. What the workers were responding to were not the perks or the different environmental uh, uh, like things that were getting better. What they were responding to was attention. So anytime the employer would give them any sort of attention, whether it would be even what they had before, but as long as they were, they were being noticed, productivity increased. Now, when I was a youth pastor, I would hear this phrase a lot, and it's been attributed to John Maxwell. Some people go all the way back to Roosevelt or somebody like that, but how many of you guys have heard this phrase before? It goes like this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. How many of you guys have heard that before, right? There's a lot of truth to that. And so what was happening in that experiment is all the employees were finally, they, they at least believed that their employers actually cared about them. They didn't care how much they knew and how much they were told to put out, but once they felt like they were being cared for, man, productivity increased. 
Now, we're in this series called Come to the Table, and we've been anchored in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bible with you or if you have your phone, we will have it on the screen, but I encourage you to to follow along in some way. We've been anchored in Luke chapter 14. And at the very beginning of Luke chapter 14, we see that Jesus was invited to this dinner. And along the way to the dinner, something interesting happens. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now you have to understand about the Pharisees is they knew the law inside and out and even the, the oral tradition, all this stuff. They, they knew all these things and the Sabbath, they had all these elaborate rules in order to keep the Sabbath, to not work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is questioning them. He already knows what their answer will be, but he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because they weren't really supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And here's this man who's sick in front of them. And so he throws this question out and they remain silent. So you got to imagine the confidence of just this moment when Jesus comes and he's like, okay, here's a sick man. Is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, he hasn't healed him yet. And then they don't say anything. And instantly he heals the man. He heals him. And he says this, he says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. What Jesus was exposing here is that that the Pharisees had all the facts, but they were missing love. They had the letter of the law, but they were missing the heart of the reason the law was even there. And how many times are we like that in our life? where we, we have the knowledge, we know all the stuff. But remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so these Pharisees, they had a lot of knowledge, but they didn't have a lot of love. Now, last week I talked about your, your greatest moments. And again, you should go back and you should revisit that if you haven't done that already. Today I want to talk about what it takes to have our deepest love for people. And, and it's really challenging to have our deepest love for people because we can have all the facts but without love. Have you ever tried to debate somebody on Facebook? Anybody ever done that? Like, that's an exercise in having all the facts, but generally there's not a lot of love. Has anybody ever done that? Because I did this last night and like nobody raised their hand. Anybody ever done that? Just me. I've done it for all of you, okay? I've done it enough for all of you, okay? But what I found is we have a lot of facts, but it's hard for us to love people through a screen that way. And we end up in this, this same situation. It's hard to do. And so, uh, you know, because you can be right in the facts and still be wrong in your heart at the same time. Time. And that's kind of a description of what was happening here. So this is the last time that I get to speak to you before something happens Tuesday, okay? Does anybody know something's happening Tuesday? And so, so this is what I want to challenge you in. I want to challenge you. Go vote if you haven't voted, okay? I want to challenge you. Fight for what is right. I want to challenge you to so hold to your conviction. I want to challenge you to pray for this country. I want to challenge you to do everything that you know to do to, to fight for all of these things, okay? I just want to also challenge you to remember that along the way, it's not how much we know, but it's how much we love. I mean, Paul was the one who said that you can have all this faith, but if you don't have love, you, you are nothing, So I'm saying, do all of those things, and you should, and I'm encouraging you to do everything you know to do, everything that's in your heart to do, everything when you read the Bible and you look at what your duty is to to fulfill that. 
Just remember, you can have all the facts and still not have love. And if you have all the facts without love, it's nothing. That's what Jesus is implying here as well. And so I want to encourage you guys to do that. And, and you know, whatever happens, I actually have a prophecy uh, that I, I shared earlier this week. I have a prophecy about the election. Okay, you guys ready for this? You guys are all sitting down. Okay, so here's my prophecy about the election. That no matter what happens on November 3rd, here, here's the prophecy that I have. November 4th, Jesus is still on the throne. He is. We've got to settle that in our hearts. That no matter what happens, Jesus is still on the throne. In fact, none of this has surprised God. You know, the Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning. God has already been to our Wednesday. God's not going to be surprised by it. He's not going to be caught off guard. He's not going to, whether your guy wins or loses, it doesn't, he's going to have a plan. And we will wake up Wednesday morning and whatever that looks like, or two months from now when they settle the election, whatever that looks like. <laughs> and God's not surprised by any of it. So fight for what's right. But let's carry love in our heart with the fight, amen? Carry love for people with the fight. But come on, can we be real for it? Let's just be honest for just a little bit because you're in church, right? Be honest. Sometimes people are hard to love, right? Come on, people are really hard to love. You ever have people in your life that are hard to love? I, maybe they're sitting next to you. Don't move right now. <laughs> Don't flinch. <laughs> but uh, I used to, when I worked construction years ago, I had this guy. It was a great guy, just hard to love. <clears throat> he was hard to love, man. It's a great guy. He would, he would show up to work every morning uh, with his, his uh, coffee cup, and he'd always talk to me in the third person. And he would say something like, how's Mr. Sean doing today? And I'd be like, Mr. Sean is doing great. <laughs> and it was, every, it was Groundhog Day every single day. Show up, same thing happened, get out of the van and, and hold his mug and say, how's Mr. Sean doing today? Mr. Sean is doing great. And it just wore on me day after day after day. Great guy, but just wore on me day after day after day. And in the heat of the summer, he, he, he would just, he would sweat and just kind of have a greasy film all over him like seal oil or something. It was just, <laughs> it's really odd. And then you'd have to sit on the way home close and it was just, was that too much? I kind of got a look from my wife last night when I said that, like I said too much. But, uh, but it was just one of those things. It was just, there are people in our life that are hard to love. Even, even as we get married, like we start off and, and we're infatuated and that carries us so far. And then we find out that love is, is hard. We got to make choices, but we're still in love. And then how many of you guys know after time, the more you get to know people, the more you have to choose love rather than feel love because people are hard to love. And, and I saw this clip from Tim Hawkins uh, earlier this week, just a short clip. I thought you guys would enjoy it. So go ahead and watch. I love it when I, I see new couples, man. New couples, they just get married and they have just to have it figured out, you know. They have all the answers. They have this whole marriage thing. Oh, it's so easy. They're always bragging about their relationship, you know. You hear them talking, it's so amazing. Our marriage is so amazing. <laughs> What's so great about it? It's, it's so spiritual. It's like we're joined at the soul. The soul. <laughs> what do you mean? It's like we finish each other's sentences all the time. We finish each other. I'm like, big deal. I don't care how long you've been married. You always finish each other's sentences. 
I've been married for 15 years. I'm like, hey, honey, can you make your own sandwich? That is weird, because that's just what I was going to do. I was going to see if you want me to make you one, too. <laughs> right? Sometimes it's hard to love, right? So Jesus gives us this formula later on in Luke chapter 14 of how to have our deepest love for people, even hard to love people. And, and I'm gonna reveal to you this, this formula, it's really not a formula, but I'm gonna reveal to you what it takes to have your deepest love for people. And it's found in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 27, he says, now great crowds accompanied him and, and he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says, well, I'm just gonna put all this together here for you in just a little bit, but he says, if you wanna be a disciple of his, you have to hate your father and mother. Some of you guys are like, done. <laughs> hate your wife. Getting close, you know, like some of us are frustrated. But what is Jesus talking about here? What, what is he, have you ever wondered, like, what is he talking? I mean, he's talking about if you want to follow Jesus, you got to hate people. What is he talking about here? Well, some people, if, if you do a study on that word, hate, in many cases, it literally means hate. I mean, that's what it says, okay? Now, in some cases, it will indicate to love less, Many uh, commentators and, and people that I've heard talk about this will, will explain it this way. They'll say what, what Jesus was talking about here is loving God with everything that you have. Remember, he says, take up your cross, leave all. When you love God with everything that you have to such a degree that you love God, if you love God in this way with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, every other love in your life seems so extreme in comparison that it could be compared to hate because of the difference. And that's the kind of love that God is talking about that we have to have for him. What is he talking about here? He's talking about dying to self. If you love God to such a degree that you have died to self, there's such a, such a distinction between your love for God and any other love. It's such an extreme chasm that can't even hardly be compared. I tend to agree with that uh, assessment of it and I don't mean to soften Jesus' words because Jesus did say something very strong that we need to pay attention to. But the essence of what he's saying here is, is that we have to die to self. Now, if you really want to understand that Jesus wasn't saying to literally hate your family in the sense that we think of the word hate, all you have to do is you have to go and look at how Jesus handled his family to see what he meant. And we know this, we know that on the cross even, as Jesus is suffering and dying, he tells John to take care of his mother. So he wasn't hating in the sense that we think of hate. We, we know that. We know even that, that when he was a young boy that he got lost when they were going home from the caravan, from the temple, and he, they came and found him three days later, and he said, I've got to be about my heavenly father's business. What was he saying? The father is so important to me that even my natural family, it took a different priority. See, that's the kind of the distinction that he's talking about here. And so if, if what he's talking about here is to love extremely less in comparison 
or to die to self, I would put it this way. If you want to love people more, you must first love less. And let me explain that for you. Here's what I mean. It's only when you have died to your agenda can you fully love people the way God loves them. It's only when you've died to your lens of seeing people can you fully love people with the love of God. It's only when you've died to your baggage can you come into any type of relationship and love with your deepest love. Because anytime you try to bring your old life, your old self, or your sin into love, it's going to not have the same potency as if you had died to self and loved fully with the love of God. Is anybody getting this today? This is what he's talking about. So if you want to love more, you first have to love less. You have to love your, your life, your rights, your thing less, whatever it is. And if you have, listen, if you want to, you have to die to self before you can truly even love yourself the way God loves you. How many of you guys have had a hard time loving yourself? Maybe you look at your life and you see all the things that you've done. You have a hard time loving yourself the way God, your love for yourself and God's love for yourself do not match. Do you know the way that you get your love and God's love to match is you have to die and you have to fill it with God's love. If you've ever had to forgive somebody, you've had to die to self. Uh, years ago, I, man, it, it, there's one thing about me growing up is I always had to, I always felt this inner compulsion to try to set the record straight or try to speak whenever, if I saw something I felt like needed to be said, I was gonna say it, right? To a fault, right? Obviously, <laughs> And, and I would just, I mean, there's something in me that hates to be used or manipulated or hates to have a, like, I feel compo- compelled to set the wrong right if I feel like there's something wrong. And I would just always, just almost driven to do that, like driven to do that. So then we, we start this church and a couple years into it, there, there is some, a situation where some influence, uh, influence person in the church twisted some words of mine and were saying something that wasn't really the way that it happened. And I was so, I wanted to set the record straight. I wanted to get up on a Sunday morning and just tell everybody, okay, that's not what happened. That's not what I said. There's, that's not what the issue is. I wanted so badly to do that. And yet I knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. I, I couldn't do that. I just had, but there's everything that was in me that wanted to do that. And then some good friends of mine started to believe what they were saying over the character, my character, and it was such a hard time. And so you know what I did? I, I began to just say, okay, I'm, just, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to defend myself, but I'm never going to let somebody get in that close again. I'm just, I'm going to protect my heart. Like, I cannot, I can't, if I can't say anything, if I can't set the wrong right, then I'm going to protect my heart and never let it happen again. And so I began to do that and God, you know, comes along and just kind of taps me on the shoulder one day and is like, uh, Sean, you know you can't pastor that way. You can't pastor with a protected hard heart. You have to have thick skin and a soft heart if you're called to pastor. In fact, that's how we have to all basically live life. We have to have thick skin and yet still a soft heart. It's hard to do. And so I had to forgive and to release and to allow 
You know, and I believe in boundaries. I believe it, but this was an unhealthy boundary for me to try to protect my heart. And what happened, something in me, I had literally had to let a piece of me die in order to let Christ shine bright. Even at the cost of, of what I felt was something that wasn't, wasn't fair to me. See, and that's what happens every time you forgive somebody. It's not that you're saying that you weren't right or that they were right. It's you're giving up your right for revenge because Jesus paid the price for you and you can share grace with them. But something, you have to die to self to do that. You have to, there's no way around it. You have to die to self to do that. And so many of us, we struggle to love people, we struggle to forgive people because we're just not willing to die to self. And one of the, one of the things that happens is we lose sight of what God is doing in other people because we're so hurt by, by what's been done to us. Now, watch this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus was speaking, you know, he's traveling around, he's doing all these miracles, he's doing all this great stuff, right? It says, while he was still speaking to people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. What's going on here? I mean, you think Jesus doing all these great, amazing things, and his, his, his family isn't even around. His family isn't even around. You'd think they would be like right there, like watching, like, you know, I grew up with him. Like, we, we played in the sand together. I mean, you know, you think all these things, but they weren't even around. And here's what we know about some of Jesus' family. Some of Jesus' family didn't even believe that he was who he said he was. They didn't believe any of it. In fact, his brother James didn't even believe even after Jesus was raised from the dead. It took an appearance of Jesus to James himself after the fact for him to even believe who Jesus was. So you gotta imagine the whole time some of his family are thinking, what is Jesus doing? Like, he is crazy. Like, he's walking around like this celebrity guy and he's, he's claiming to be God. I mean, our brother has just gone crazy, right? So you have to imagine they're showing up. They, maybe they're doing an intervention. Like, Jesus, come on. Okay, this, is, this American Idol act is not, it's not working anymore. Like, come on back home. Like, we're gonna get you, to, we'll get you on some medicine or something. Like, let's get you, sit down, you know? Get a glass of water, you know? And, and they aren't even there. Because they were looking through natural eyes instead of spiritual eyes. Some of them did not discern what God was doing in that moment. Some of them were so caught up in the natural that they lost sight of what was happening in the spiritual. And, and remember last week when I talked about humility, and I, and I used that illustration of the table at the Last Supper, and remember the U-shaped table, many of you guys who, if you didn't, you gotta go back and see it, but there's a table, and Jesus says, when you come to the table, Humble yourself, take the lowest spot, so that the master or the host will cause you to move up in honor. And here's what I want you to see. Humility unlocks honor. When you humble yourself, it unlocks honor. But here's what I want you to also see. See, sometimes we're so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on the natural. We're so focused on us, we, we immediately see that story and we think humility unlocks honor for me. But here's what I want you to see. Humility, when you humble yourself, it actually not only unlocks honor for you, but it unlocks the ability for you to honor other people. And many of these people did not discern the work that God was doing. And when you don't discern the work that God is doing, 
it, you will miss out on this idea of being able to honor and to love in your deepest way. And one of the, the coolest glimpses of this idea of, of discern, discerning honor in other people is found in one of the most unlikely places in all of scripture for this to be found. So take a look. All right, so one of the most unlikely acts of faith happens in one of the most famous passages of Scripture. And it's the, the passage we call the Hall of Faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And this chapter is famous because it lists off all these great acts of faith. I mean, all these legends of the faith. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, uh, Samson, David, all of these guys who did all these incredible things for God. I mean, some of them, they gave up their lives. They followed after the promises. They left all. They were tortured for the cause of Christ. And there's all these legendary acts of faith in there. And it's one of the coolest parts in all of the Bible because it's kind of the who's who of acts of faith. But right in there's a very interesting part. And somehow in all these great acts of faith, Moses' parents get listed as one of the great legends of the faith. What did they do? Well, it says basically that by faith they recognized that God had divinely set Moses apart. In one translation, it says that he was beautiful, but in other uh, translations, it, it clearly says that he was divinely set apart. And so what did they do? One of the greatest acts of faith, I want you to see this, was parents standing over a crib. I'm sure that uh, Moses' parents had kind of a Noah's Ark thing going on, you know, telling the story or whatever, but parents st standing over the crib, looking at their child, and it wasn't just this, well, my child is special because it's my child sort of thing. It was, they had God's eyes to be able to see and to recognize and to discern prophetically what God was going to do with this child. That's why we value so much even serving in the nursery and all these things, because we get the opportunity to prophetically see and declare and pray over these kids that God puts in our care, even if it's just for an hour or two. But Moses' parents saw that. Listen, sometimes one of your greatest faith acts will be recognizing and honoring the work of God in someone else. Let me say it again. Sometimes one of your greatest faith acts is not this big, huge thing that you do, but it's that you have eyes to prophetically see what God is doing in someone else, and then you prophetically act upon that and help draw that out of them. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. Even in my life, when I felt like I had a call of God on my life, I, I recognized what God was doing in someone else's life. I recognized that, that I needed to serve someone else's vision. And that's what I find so many times in Scripture and in life. So many of us have calls of God on our life. But here's what I know. Many times before God releases us to fulfill our call, He'll call us into a season of serving someone else's calling and vision. And let me tell you what happens. That usually happens for a lot longer than we think it should. Almost all the time, it's a lot longer than we think it should. But he does that because he wants to teach us and to train us to be able to honor the work of God in someone else's life. This is how God works. This is what God does. But it's so hard for us to do that sometimes because we're so close to it. Sometimes we miss being able to love well, being able to serve well because of the people who are so familiar to us. 
you know, after God called me out of being a youth pastor, he called me into a season of serving with my parents. And I went from this big ministry to, to at the time, my parents were working with a lot of people who were um, just coming out of jail. And it was a really small, intimate discipleship type uh, church environment. And a lot of people may not see a lot on the surface there, but I can tell you this, it's only when we get to heaven will we see all that's been accomplished through their work. And so for a couple years, I served their vision because God wants us to recognize and to honor the vision of other people, to recognize the work of God in other people's lives. And listen, if you're hitting a wall right now, maybe it's because we haven't died to self and we haven't recognized what's happening all around us. Listen, it's so hard for us to recognize and honor the, the call and the work of God in other people's lives uh, of those close to us. Maybe when our kids don't have the attitude that we think that they should have and it's hard for us to see. Maybe it's a spouse that we're so close to that it's hard for us to see. Listen, the only way that you're going to be able to love well and your deepest love, your deepest acts of faith are going to happen when you die to self and you're able to finally see through God's eyes because humility unlocks honor. That's a pretty cool little spot there in scripture and we, sometimes we miss those things. But if we want to love at our deepest level, if we want to honor at our deepest level, we wanna honor and love people, there's a cost involved. We've been talking about dying to self. Jesus continues about this, he says, take up your cross, but then he goes on in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with his 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, sometimes we forget that the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus really means not just some things, but it really does mean everything. It really does mean everything. That's the cost of following Jesus. And for some of us, we struggle to love well, we struggle to honor others, we struggle to forgive, and the cost for us may just be as simple as getting outside of ourselves. We're so into ourselves that we can't do that. And there's a cost that Jesus said is involved. And the cost may be as simple as getting outside of yourself. But you may be saying, well, Pastor Sean, but you don't understand. You know, I, I get all of that. I should love and I do and I forgive and all this type of stuff. But, but I've been waiting for a long time and believe in God to be blessed in this area. And it just hasn't happened yet. I've been waiting for a long time. You, you don't understand. I've been waiting because I feel like this is my moment and I, I've been waiting a long time and this is my time and I could go off and do all these other things, but, but this is my time or I've been waiting to feel appreciated or I've been waiting to be invited to, into other people's lives and I've been waiting, I've been praying for all these things and it just hasn't happened and I'm frustrated. Have you guys have been there before? Anybody at all? Maybe you feel passed over. Has anybody ever felt passed over for an opportunity or a job or a, whatever it is? You feel like you've been passed over. It's my time. Here's my encouragement to you. And here's what I felt like God was telling me to say to you guys. To say to all of us. And here, here it is. Very simple, but here it is. Do what you've been waiting for. Here's what I mean by that. If you've been waiting to be served, find someone to serve. If you've been waiting 
to be blessed. You've been praying for this certain thing or whatever. Do what you've been waiting for. Find someone to bless. If you've been waiting to be honored and you feel like I've done all these things, I've humbled myself, I've done all these things. If you've been waiting, do what you've been waiting for. Find someone to honor. Find someone to honor. If you've been waiting to be invited, this could be as simple, I see this all the time. If you've been waiting to be invited into someone's life, or maybe you've been waiting to be invited to dinner at somebody's house and no one's inviting you, do what you've been waiting for. Invite somebody into your life because I guarantee you there is somebody just like you who's waiting to be invited in. Do what you've been waiting for. If you've been waiting to be fully loved for who you are and you've been through situation after situation where it didn't seem like somebody embraced you, know, you for who you were and, and then find somebody even with their flaws and even with their, their issues and just love them as much as you can with the love that comes from God. Do what you've been waiting for. If you've been waiting for your moment and you're like, this is my time. I've been waiting for my moment, whatever your moment is, instead of wallowing in self-pity. Find somebody who has their moment and celebrate it as if it were your moment. Do what you've been waiting for. If you've been waiting for an open door, like I talked about in the last series, and it just hasn't happened yet, then look around, find a door you can open for somebody else. You know what this is called? This is called living the life of faith. This is called humbling yourself so that you can honor because humility unlocks honor. But honor isn't always for you. Many times when you humble yourself, it's so that you can unlock honor for someone else. This is called sowing seeds of faith, but you have to die to self to do that. You have to take up your cross to do that. You have to love your life less to be able to love more. Here's the thing about about this, when we die to self though, here's what we get in return, we get the life of God, amen? And the life of God is so abundant and full of everything we ever need and everything we're holding on tight to with our own life, when we let it go, the Bible says if you, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life, you gain it because you gain Christ. I have the worship team come back up as we get ready to close. We're gonna read one last scripture to you and I really want you to hear this last point as we close. It's one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, and you've heard it before, many of you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and through 20, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. All right, auditorium two, let's say it, make disciples. All right, we got it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How many of you guys have heard that before, right? Go and make disciples. Here's what I want you to hear today. We aren't called to go make converts or to sell tickets to heaven. <laughs> we are told to make disciples. Disciples are active, real-time followers of the way of Jesus. And so many of us, maybe even in our own life, we've settled for this idea of I've got my ticket into heaven, I believe in Jesus, and we've stopped there and we've stopped following the way of Jesus. But we aren't called to 
make converts. We're called to make disciples. In other words, followers, active followers of the way of Jesus. And we look at his life, we can hear his voice, and that's how we walk in step with Jesus. We are called to make disciples. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Before you can ever make a disciple, you first have to be one. You first have to look at your life and say, am I an active follower of the way of Jesus? When I look at my life, am I actively taking up my cross, taking up a towel, as we talked about last week, putting on love? Am I an active follower of the way of Jesus? To make disciples, you first must be a disciple. And here's the last quote that really helped me, because some of us are like, well, how do I do this? Like, what do I do? Listen, good preaching will help answer questions, but good preaching, I've discovered, will also create questions. And so my hope for you is that there are some questions that have been created, like how do I die to myself? What does discipleship look like? What does it mean to be a disciple? And let me just leave you with this one thought that'll be a seed for some of your questions maybe. And it's this quote that I heard from Dallas Willard and it says this, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Just think about that. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And you know what making disciples is? It's being able, it's having the prophetic eye to be able to look at other people and to see who Jesus would be in them if he were there and to help draw that out. We have to die to self to do that. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to, to close out? I know I'm in a series that's kind of a really strong, convicting series. But I trust you come to Journey Church because you don't just want to just have all of the sugar-coated, nice sayings and refrigerator verses, Christianity. But that we want to really take out the Word of God, that we really want to invite the Holy Spirit conviction into our life that we really want to understand what it's like to walk with God. And to do that, we, we die to self. Like I said earlier, the, the beautiful thing about that is, is Jesus, the, the exchange is awesome because Jesus died, he rose from the dead, he asked us to die so that he can fill us with his life. And when we're filled with his life, oh man, the life of God, Oh man, the love of God. Ooh, the peace of God passes all understanding, all of our natural understanding in such a way that guards our heart and guards our mind. That the joy of God that comes when we die to self and we invite him in, scripture says it's unspeakable and full of glory. See, some of us have been holding out, holding on to our version or maybe even Satan's version of, a counterfeit version of what we could have if we let God flow in. So would you take just a moment, maybe bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and look at your life and just say, Jesus, what would you look like if you were me? Ooh, I want that. What are the things I've been waiting for? Oh, Lord, put people in my path so that I can unlock things for them. Help me to die to self so that I can bring honor and I can recognize the work that you're doing 
in someone else's life. One of the greatest faith acts that you may do is to recognize and honor the work of God in someone else. Holy Spirit, come, convict. We thank you for answering questions, but I pray that you would create holy questions in us as we leave, that we, we walk out of this place pondering what you wanna do in our life, pondering what it means. Lord, we thank you that you died for us. We thank you for your life. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Lord, we wanna fully embrace that, fully experience that. We don't wanna believe the lie of Satan that says we still have to live the old way. We wanna lean in fully into the new life that you've given us as we fully release that in Jesus' name. Let's worship him one more time.